the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. I want you to understand that for nearly 2,000 years, people have been asking this question. Is God through with Israel? And the question is not just as he set them aside, you know, temporarily. The question is, is God finished completely with them? Is it over? Has Israel seen her day? Many have asked that question. And do you realize that this is a very controversial question? For 2,000 years, most of Christendom has answered back, yes, yes. The question of Israel's relationship with God has caused much division within the church over the years. This has been especially true in the past century and a half. As the Jewish nation gradually became a reality, Christians have grappled with how we should relate to Israel. As we will see on today's broadcast, we cannot avoid discussing this issue simply because it is divisive, because the answer holds some very profound implications for our faith as Christians. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff, pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. As Pastor Steve begins this new series from Romans chapter 11, he will be discussing an issue that is very close to his own heart. Like the Apostle Paul, he is a Jew who has acknowledged that Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah. Pastor Steve has many Jewish friends and family that he would like to see come to Christ. So he has studied this topic with a keen personal desire to know what God has said regarding Israel. In fact, Pastor Steve has even written a book on this very topic. He has much to share that will help us to understand what the Bible says about Israel in God's plan today. Let's join him now as he begins this study of Romans 11. I'd like you to turn your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 11 as we continue worshiping the Lord and now studying the Word of the Lord. Romans chapter 11. Very, very, very important chapter in the Word of God and specifically in the book of Romans. Verse 1, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed thy prophets, they have torn down thine altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. And what is the divine response to him? I have, not, uh, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it be by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? That which Israel is seeking for, it has not obtained. 
but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see, uh, eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. When Frederick the Great asked his chaplain to give him in one word, he said, give me the strongest evidence for the Christian faith. You know what his chaplain said? Israel. Israel. One word. The existence of the Jewish people long after other great civilizations have lived out their course in time and history is a testimony to the trustworthiness and the reliability of the word of God. Civilizations have come and they've gone, but Israel, the Jewish people, remain to this day. Why? Because centuries ago, God gave this people many wonderful and great and precious promises. And he has preserved the Jewish people primarily for one reason, and that is to fulfill his word, to prove that he keeps his promises. And so he has, he has preserved these people over the centuries in spite of persecution and in spite of all the logical reasons why they should have died out and been exterminated and killed so that he can fulfill his promises to them. The Apostle Paul speaks of some of these promises in chapter 9, verse 4. He says, who are Israelites to whom belong the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises whose are the fathers and from whom is the Messiah according to the flesh who is over all God blessed forever. Now, it's ironic that when Frederick the Great said, give me one word, that would, that would speak of the evidence of the Christian faith of the gospel that his chaplain said Israel. It's ironic that in Paul's day, instead of thinking that Israel was the, was the one word, the strongest evidence for the Christian faith, they looked at Israel as the strongest evidence against the Christian faith. You must understand that in Paul's day, the believer looked around the church and he saw that it was predominantly a Gentile church, and it was a growing Gentile church. And Israel as a nation had rejected their Messiah. Yes, there were some who believed, but as a nation, there was a national rejection of the Messiah. And so the Christian wondered, what is this gospel? If it's so true, then why don't the Jewish people as a whole accepted because they knew that back in the Old Testament, God had said that the blessings for salvation would come to Israel and other blessings, the land, the kingdom, the Messiah reigning out of Jerusalem and specifically the blessings of salvation. But the Jewish nation didn't accept the Messiah. The Jewish nation rejected him and said, we'll not have this man to reign over us. And so the church had, as a whole was wondering as they looked at Israel, Will Israel be the downfall of the gospel? Because if God doesn't keep his word to Israel, then how can we count on him to keep his word to the church? And so really, as Paul goes through chapters 1 through 8 in the book of Romans, he has been presenting that God is a righteous God, that man needs righteousness, that God has provided righteousness, that God is so righteous that he will secure man's salvation and he will not lose this righteousness. And the question that has to be really asked is, what about Israel? Because if God is not faithful to Israel, then you might as well throw out Romans chapter 1 through 8. It doesn't mean anything. Who cares about a gospel that has a God behind it who won't keep his word? 
So in Paul's day, some wondered whether God was through with the Jewish people. And if he was, if he was, then the whole credibility of the gospel is over. The integrity of God is at stake. But some wondered, is God through with the Jewish people? Nationally, they had rejected the Messiah. So the question is, well, will God reject them? It's a valid question. Would he reject them? And so as Paul begins chapter 11 of Romans, he asks a very critical question, a question that probably was on the heart and mind of every one of his readers. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Has he? What a question. It is a question of such supreme importance that when Paul gets through answering this question, and he, by the way, he takes up all of Romans 11 to answer that very question as God rejected his people. When he gets through answering it, he is so thrilled and he is so enthused and so excited. You know what he does? He breaks forth in praise. And in verse 33, when he gets through with all of his answer, he says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways for who has known the minds of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. So it's an exciting passage. I mean, if it does this to Paul, that's going to excite us to find out what the answer is. Has God rejected his people? Now, I really believe it is a crucial issue to find out what people he's talking about. And I have uh, read commentaries this week that take a different view of what people he's talking about. There are some people who will look at this and say, has God rejected his people? Well, they say people must be here, the church. Has God rejected the church? Do you find that anywhere in the context? He's not talking about the church. There's no way that he's talking about the church. The chapter is dealing with Israel. Israel is distinct from the church. Israel is the earthly people of God. God has given earthly, for the most part, earthly promises to this people. Though there are spiritual promises mixed in, but earthly promises primarily. The church is a heavenly people, and we have been given heavenly promises. There are two distinct programs for Israel and the church, though sometimes they overlap. But basically, there are two distinct programs. He's not speaking about this people being the church. Then there are others who say, well, he's talking about the remnant the remnant, the Jewish people who have accepted Jesus. No, he's not talking about them either. Why would he have to ask? Has God rejected his remnants? Of course not. You know, that would be like Paul saying, has God rejected me? Has God rejected the apostles? Has God rejected the remnant? No, he's just gotten through in chapters 9, in chapter 9, dealing with how God has accepted the remnant. No, he's not asking about the remnant here, though he'll deal with the remnant. This is not the question. The question is, has God rejected is disobedient and obstinate people, Israel, the whole of Israel, fleshly Israel, the literal Israel. And the reason we know that is if you look back at verse 21 of chapter 10. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Is he speaking about the church? No, no, he hasn't stretched out his hands to a disobedient, obstinate church to Israel. Is he speaking about a Jewish remnant who believe? No, they've already embraced him. He doesn't need to reach out his hands to them. They're not obstinate anymore. They're not stiff-necked anymore. They're not disobedient anymore. Is he speaking about saved Gentiles? No, he is speaking about his disobedient and obstinate people, Israel. And that's why he says, I say then, has God rejected his people? His people, Israel? 
What Paul is really asking is this, and this is very important. We're going to take some time to explain this. Is God finished with Israel? Is God done with Israel? Is it over? Is God's plan for Israel past? Did their national rejection of Christ cancel completely and permanently all the promises that God gave them? What promises? A land, a kingdom, the blessings of salvation. Now, that is really a heavy question. Really an important one, because, and I said before, if God casts away his people, Israel, then you might as well throw away the Bible. Because God breaks his word. You see, the trustworthiness of God is at stake. The righteousness of God is at stake. The gospel is at stake. If God breaks his word to his earthly people, then chances are he's going to break his word to his heavenly people, the church. In fact, if you turn back to Romans chapter 8, Verse 38 and 39, you'll see really the, the uh, introduction to this whole, the whole problem of God's dealing with Israel. Paul says in this great chapter on security, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the natural question that comes to a person's mind after that is, Oh yeah? What about Israel? It looks, Paul, as if God is finished with Israel. And that's the way it looks. And so how could we say that we're secure, that God won't cast us away, which is basically what chapter 8 is saying, if it appears to us that God has cast away Israel? So you see, this, this is really an important question for us. And I want you to understand that I think here Paul is dealing primarily answering the question on the minds and hearts of Gentiles. Why do I say that? In verse 13 of chapter 11, he says he's speaking to the Gentiles. Verse 13, but I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. What's he saying? If God cast away the Jews, then why in the world would the Gentiles want to come to a God who has done this to his people? And why would the Gentiles want to become his people if he doesn't treat the Jewish people properly? You see? So it's a message really primarily to you who are part of the church and come from the background of being Gentiles. So he's speaking to the Gentiles. Why witness to any more Gentiles about the faithfulness of God and the integrity of God and how he's preserved Israel if he hasn't done that? I want you to understand that for nearly 2,000 years, people have been asking this question, is God through with Israel? And the question is not just as he set them aside, you know, temporarily. The question is, is God finished completely with them? Is it over? Has Israel seen her day? Many have asked that question. And do you realize that this is a very controversial question? For 2,000 years, most of Christendom has answered back, yes. Yes. Most Christians, most Bible-believing Christians, believe that God has cast away Israel. Now, that may be a revelation to you because in the circles that we move in, and the people that we have come and speak to you, apart from myself, do not believe that. Because the people who we have speak to you would be, would be what we would call dispensational. That is, they believe that God has worked in different time periods in different ways. But there are many people, and the majority of Christendom are not dispensational. And so what they believe is that Israel, and they spiritualize the Bible. They, ha they cannot take a, a literal approach here. They have to spiritualize it. 
And they have to say that that God has set Israel aside permanently and the church is the new Israel and all of the promises given to Israel now have been canceled out. And now the promises are to the church. And so what they say is that we are Israel. And that happens when you when you take the Bible spiritually rather than normally and literally. It's interesting to me that while these folks want to apply all the blessings and the glories promised to Israel, they want to apply it to the church. They don't want to apply the cursings to the church. They don't want to apply the punishments to the church. No, they just, they just want to take the blessings. But literal Israel is Israel. And literally the church is the church. And you cannot mix them. God gave pacts to Israel in the Old Testament. They're called covenants. A good way of thinking of a covenant is a pact, an agreement. For instance, and this will help you a little bit, there's the Abrahamic covenant, which is kind of the granddaddy of them all. The Abrahamic covenant was a covenant that God made with Abraham. That's where it gets the name from. And basically, though there was more to it than this, God promised Abraham, and it was unconditional. God swore by himself. Abraham didn't have to do anything. He was just there. It's unconditional. He said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a land, the land of Palestine. I'm going to give you the blessings of salvation. And I'm going to give you a seed. And that seed is the Messiah who will bless all the families of the earth. From the Abrahamic covenant, God reaffirms in different covenants, different pacts, basically the same thing. All the other uh, covenants except perhaps the Mosaic Covenant, really are, are simply reemphasizing the Abrahamic Covenant. For instance, there is the Palestinian Covenant, which reaffirms to the Jewish people that the land belongs to them. That's why it's called the Palestinian Covenant. Then there's the Davidic Covenant, and it reaffirms that the seed has come and will come. The Messiah has come and will sit upon the throne of David. He's sitting in heaven now, but he's not sitting upon the throne of David. And then there is the New Covenant, reaffirming the spiritual blessings of salvation. And the church enters into that too as well. That's why I said sometimes it's overlapping. But there is the new covenant. God says, I'll put my law within your heart. I'll forgive your sins. That is the new covenant. Also, there is the Mosaic covenant, which says, Israel, if you, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, I'll discipline you. Those are the pacts. Has God rejected his people? Has he done away with all those pacts? Has he thrown out his covenants and said, you blew it. I sent the Messiah and you said, no, now you're through. And I've taken a new people, the church, and I am setting you aside permanently and completely. And you'll never fulfill those promises. I'll never fulfill those promises to you. Has God rejected his people? While many say yes. Thank God the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, says no. We look at verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Let's stop there for a moment. The, the construction of this sentence in Greek brings out the fact that Paul expects the answer to be no. In fact, that's why my version, the New American Standard, uh, terms it this way. It doesn't just say, has God rejected his people? God has not rejected his people, right? I mean, it, it implies a no answer. That's exactly what Paul gives. He says, may it never be. Strongest terms in the Greek language. May it never be. In other words, perish the thought. Don't even think such a thing. Heaven forbid, you could say. In fact, some versions say God forbid. 
so strong in the, in the language of the, the Greek words. God forbid. Don't even think such a thought. And that is exactly, though, what many have thought over the years. Well, chapter 11 answers this question. Now, let me explain chapter 11 to you, give you the overall picture. Paul is going to prove that God has not permanently cast aside his people. It is not a, a complete casting aside, though there is a setting aside. But I want you to understand what Paul is going to say in the first 10 verses, which we'll only look at a little bit today. We won't get through the whole thing. Paul is going to say that Israel has been set aside only partially, partially, which means that there are, uh, while Israel is set aside because of their rejection, there are some Jews who believe. It is not a complete setting aside. There are a number, many Jewish people who believe. The nation has not been set aside completely. It's just partial. Just partial. Secondly, from verses 11 to about verse 25, he's going to tell us that Israel's setting aside is only temporary. Someday, all Israel is going to be saved. Look at verse 25. I don't want you to be uh, ignorant, brethren, or be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening, that is, some Jews, not all, has happened to Israel when? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and thus all Israel will be saved. During the tribulation period, there will be many, many, many Jewish people who will die. Those left... The Bible says in Zechariah 13, those left will look upon him whom they've pierced. As Jesus breaks through the clouds and comes to deliver his people, they will look upon him whom they've pierced and they will weep, the Bible says, as one weeps for an only son. They will weep. Why? Because they will have the blindness taken off of their eyes and they will see that Jesus is their long-awaited Messiah and they will accept him. Who? The whole nation. Just as the nation has rejected him now, so the nation will accept him then. And so Paul is saying, look, they've been set aside, but only partially. There are some Jews who believe, and only temporary. It's just temporary. Someday God is going to fulfill all of his promises, all of his promises, the physical promises, the spiritual promises to Israel. That's at the end of the tribulation. And then the rest of the chapter, Paul is sort of saying there's a purpose to all of this. God has a purpose. You know what the purpose is? That you might be saved. Gentiles are brought in. And from you, the Jews will hear and they'll be brought in. And that's why Paul, when he gets through, says, who can figure it out? What a plan. God has put it all together. We think that God is unrighteous. Not, not only is God righteous, God is so wise. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Who can figure this out? Who could ever sit down and figure something like this out? How dare anybody say that Christianity and the Bible is man-made? Nobody has the intelligence to figure out something like this. God has a sovereign plan. So he's going to use Israel's rejection. He's going to use uh, the Gentiles' acceptance. And he's going to work it out all in the end that Israel is saved and fulfills his word to them. Gentiles are saved. And it all comes together because God knows what he's doing. Our faith would be shaken to the very core if we thought that God's Word could not be trusted completely. If God made promises in the past that He could not or would not keep, then we will naturally doubt His faithfulness to the promises He has made to us. But God knows the future perfectly, so when He makes a promise, He makes it with the full knowledge of everything that will happen. 
This study in Romans 11 will help establish His faithfulness in our hearts so that we can depend upon His wisdom and power to keep the promises that He has made. If you are not able to listen to each of these broadcasts in this series, let me encourage you to visit our website and listen to the broadcasts online. The address for that website is versebyverseradio.org. You can simply click the Listen Now button at the top of the page to open or save the audio file. You can also download the broadcasts of any previous series from our audio archives. Verse by Verse is a radio ministry that is dedicated to declaring the whole counsel of God. Pastor Steve's lessons are always drawn directly from the Scriptures, and he strives to provide application that is consistent with the biblical text. It is our prayer that this commitment to teaching the Bible, and not just teaching from the Bible, has been a blessing to you as you have listened today. If you would like to learn more about Verse by Verse, please call us at 727-239-0306. Pastor Steve is just getting started in this study of Romans chapter 11, so we hope that you make a note to join us next time as he continues, right here on Verse by Verse. I'm Peter Silsap. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We're here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.